Today on the Matt Wall Show, British police are now carting people away in handcuffs for the crime of causing trans people to feel anxiety. If you think this madness isn't coming to the United States, you've got another thing coming. Also, Ron DeSantis proves yet again why he's the most effective Republican leader in the country. He's got a couple new moves that uh, are really great we'll talk about. And a drag queen performed for kids at a church in New York, but the story only gets worse from there somehow. And our daily cancellation, the saga of racist parade mascots, continues. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. The Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe is a huge, albeit long overdue, step in the right direction, but there's still a long way to go to rid our country of abortion completely. Many companies are bowing to the woke mob by donating to pro-choice causes and candidates are reimbursing their employees' travel expenses so that if they live uh, and work in a pro-life state, they can travel to a pro-abortion state and get an abortion and then be back at work on Monday. Well, what if I told you that you're currently on a phone plan with one of the major carriers, if you are, you might be supporting these kind of companies and their pro-abortion agenda with your monthly phone bill. You might be inadvertently, indirectly paying for people to take vacations and get abortions. Don't let abortionists use your money to fund policies you don't believe and switch to Charity Mobile instead. Charity Mobile is a pro-life, pro-family cell phone company that sends 5% of your monthly plan price to the pro-life charity of your choice. You don't have to compromise on values or good phone service. Charity Mobile offers the latest 5G phones, no device or service contracts, great nationwide coverage, and live customer service based right here in the USA. The fight for the right to life continues, and pro-life causes need your support. You can help by simply switching your phone service to Charity Mobile today. Call 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com. Mention offer code Walsh to redeem a free cell phone offer as well. That's charitymobile.com and mention code Walsh. In many ways, it would seem that Western Europe, along with Canada and probably Australia, are seated farther up on the crazy train. And, you know, that's probably true. But the important point is that we're all on the same train, headed over the same precipice and down into the same dark depths. Uh, to peer then over our northern border or across the ocean, it's to look at our immediate future. It's like looking into a crystal ball. And that's why this story, which hasn't gotten very much attention in this country, ought to, uh, ought to get some attention, ought to give us pause. The, the Daily Mail reported this week, uh, they report, an Army veteran was arrested by police for causing anxiety after retweeting a picture of a swastika made out of pride flags on social media. Darren Brady, 51, has slammed Hampshire police for impeding his right to free speech after he was placed in handcuffs on Friday at his home in Aldershot for sharing a meme. Footage of the arrest was widely shared on social media and showed an officer who told Mr. Brady he was being, he was being apprehended because his post had caused anxiety and been reported to authorities. The image Mr. Brady retweeted was of a swastika that had been digitally manipulated and was made out of four LGBT pride flags. Well, clearly the best way to disprove the point he was making with the swastika meme is to arrest him for posting it. Certainly not as, uh, it's not as though such a response exactly demonstrates the very thing the meme was commenting on. But I think you need to hear, you heard the reason there about anxiety, but you need to hear it for yourself. The British police officer um, explaining this as he's making the arrest. So here's the footage now. Watch. Which Hampshire police would realise how ridiculous this is. It is. It is. What, 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 did, what, did, what did it need to come to? Tell, tell us why you escalated it to this level. Because I don't understand. I posted something that he posted. You come to arrest me, you don't arrest him. Why has it come to this? Why am I in cuffs? Because of something he shared, then I shared. Because someone has been caused, obviously, anxiety 
based upon your social media page. That's not why you've been arrested. Someone has been caused anxiety by your social media post. You're in handcuffs and will be carted to jail because your meme made somebody anxious. My favorite thing is the tone the officer uses. He says, well, obviously, someone has been caused anxiety. It's obvious. Of course he's going to arrest you for creating anxiety in the precious, fragile mind of some gender nonconforming person. Obviously. What else is he going to do? What to the sane among us seems utterly insane and totally beyond the bounds of reason is to him self-evident and uncontroversial. Well, this is no surprise coming from a British, British police officer. After all, these are the people just recently, a few weeks ago, caught on film in uniform dancing at a gay pride rally. Let's see that. That's some uh, real police work there. I suppose we have no room to laugh over here in the States. We've seen cops in this country kneel at, you know, in submission at BLM rallies. So basically the same sort of thing. And we especially cannot laugh because we are fast approaching the day when a meme critical of the trans agenda will result in more than just a Twitter suspension. Soon we're going to see people getting carted away in handcuffs too. And it, it will happen. It's going to happen and soon. And that move will begin, if Biden has anything to say about it, on college campuses with this administration's proposed changes to Title IX. Like we talked about when the proposal was first published a little while ago, Biden wants to change Title IX not only to give men the unquestioned right to access any female facility or sports team anywhere they want without impediment, but also to make it a legal violation, as the British police officer says, to cause anxiety to a protected class of people. There was a lawyer named um, Cece O'Leary who recently explained the changes at a Heritage Foundation event, and she explained that um, under the current Title IX guidelines, a student or staff member at a university could be considered in violation if they engage in harassment, verbal harassment, that is severe, pervasive, and objectively offensive. That's the current rule as it, is, as it, as it stands. Now, there are obviously problems, even with the rule as it stands, potential problems, but it does create a relatively high bar. Okay, if you want to get someone kicked off campus for harassing you, you have to prove that what they're saying was offensive uh, and, and pervasive and severe, all three of those things, which means that you can't hear something that somebody says that offends you one time and then get the person kicked out of school. You have to prove that you were harassed in a way that was severe and pervasive and personal towards you. But as O'Leary explains, Biden wants to change the and to an or. So it's not severe and pervasive, it's severe or pervasive. And that will have absolutely devastating effects for free speech on campus, obviously by design. Let's listen to her explain it. Speech that would be severe, pervasive, and objectively offensive would be um, a, a man calling a woman a derogatory name. He says it, and we all agree that it's a, it's a bad name. He says it over and over again, um, and it causes her to maybe fear for her physical safety. Maybe he's shouting it at her as he's running after her. That would be harassment. Or maybe he's saying it over and over and over again in class to the point where she does not feel safe going to class anymore. That would be harassment under the current rule. 
under the proposed change to the rule, it would just be saying a comment about, um, it would be misgendering somebody. It would be saying um, the wrong pronoun that that person does not identify with. Under the new rule, that person could find that comment severe, period. And they could report you, and um, the college could find you uh, guilty of harassment. So under this new proposed change to Title IX, um, we are worried that students are going to have their speech chilled even more than it already is. Students are going to be deterred from ever speaking up and saying anything because they risk, especially conservative students, will risk their views um, being targeted and being punished now on their campus. So, um, you know, a, a concrete example of this could be um, you want to host a conservative speaker. Let's say you want to have Matt Walsh come onto campus and debate somebody. Under these new changes to Title IX, you might not be able to do that because Matt Walsh could be labeled a harassing figure and this is harassing speech and therefore the college uh, will not allow him to come onto campus. So there are definitely some serious concerns here with this Title IX um, change, and, and I, there are other concerns as well that I'm sure my co-panelists can speak to. Well, of course you want to keep that unsavory character off your campus. But generally, um, the groundwork is already laid here. The foundation has long since been excavated. Now all the tyrants have to do is start building on the work they've already done. To say something that somebody in a privileged class doesn't like, to make them uncomfortable, whether intentionally or not, is to commit harassment. And harassment is a violation on college campuses. Harassment is a crime, actually. Criminals get arrested. So you see how the dots connect. It's not very hard to see. But in fact, the foundations for this kind of words are violence idea, uh, the foundation goes further back and is deeper than most people realize. If you have uh, heeded my many recommendations to read Carl Truman's book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, then you'll know that this is all the consequence of um, what other philosophers have dubbed, dubbed uh, living in the age of the psychological man or the expressive individual. Now, for most of human history, as Truman talks about in his book, human beings found meaning and purpose through external realities. Um, happiness and fulfillment could be found in the ways that we are situated within stable structures like the family, the community, the church, uh, your country, right? Individuals define themselves by these relationships and these roles. If you had gone to a person, you know, at any point before modern times and asked them to tell you about themselves, they would have immediately started talking about the roles that they that they play. They would have identified that, well, I'm a, I'm a father, I do this for a living. Like, that's how they would have um, identified themselves. They probably would have, listing their faith probably first and foremost. But that's all changed in the modern age. Now, individuals are encouraged to find meaning inside themselves. As Truman wrote in an essay on this subject a couple years ago, it is the, this is the notion that human flourishing is found primarily in an inner sense of well-being, that authenticity is found by being able to act outwardly as one feels inwardly, and that who we are is largely a matter of personal choice, not external imposition. And of course, I would add that the rejection of external imposition includes biology and nature, because we're now meant to believe that even nature, even God, cannot impose on us any definition of our true selves. Nobody decides who or what we are. Nobody and nothing. It's totally up to us. This is entirely determined by our own egos, and our ego is where we live. We are absorbed within it, barely coming up for air. 
This shift in the way that human beings see themselves, this transformation or degradation, as the case may be, in the very definition of selfhood, is what explains nearly everything that we're seeing happen around us. And it's what has led, and will continue to lead, to the forcible suppression of many kinds of speech, especially speech that causes someone to question their inner experience of their own selfhood, right? Speech that causes, as the police officer said, anxiety. Since your inner self is all that matters, since it's the truest version of yourself, then speech which interferes with it becomes a form of violence. It's it's murder, in effect. And that's why the enemies of free speech can stamp out free speech wherever they find it, while claiming and actually believing that they cherish free speech. They can be on this crusade to utterly destroy free speech while telling themselves and everybody else and and being deluded enough to actually believe that, that they cherish the very thing that they're destroying. Because in their minds, what they're attacking isn't speech. You know, it's violence. It's assault. It's murder. Maybe not physically, but internally. And as we've seen, the internal is all that matters. And that's what's happening. Now let's get to our five headlines. It's been a big year for healthcare data breaches. A recent breach at a debt collection firm exposed data from 1.9 million patients tied to 657 healthcare providers. That's a huge number of people affected, but as crazy as it sounds, that's that's only the third largest healthcare breach reported this year. The other two impacted 2.8 million people and uh, 2 million patients, respectively. It's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives every day. Your personal information gets exposed so often that it's dangerously easy for a cybercriminal to steal your identity. Protecting your identity then can be easy with LifeLock by Norton. LifeLock detects and alerts you to potential identity threats that you may not be able to spot on your own, like if loans are taken out in your name, things like that. If you do become a a victim of identity theft, a dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work with you to fix the problem. Nobody can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but it's easy to help protect yourself with LifeLock. Identity theft protection starts right here. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year at LifeLock.com slash Walsh. That's LifeLock.com slash Walsh for 25% off. All right, I have to tell you about this because it's been weighing on my mind. Before we get to the five headlines, if you'll bear with me, uh, I've, just, I've been struggling with it and I've been... I've hesitated to talk about it because I don't want to throw my employer under the bus, but I have to get this off my chest, come what may. So this is something that I just found out about recently when my producer, Sean, told me about it. Apparently, back when Johnny the Walrus first came out, somebody here at the Daily Wire got the idea that they should celebrate the book and congratulate me for the success of my book, which you can still buy at johnnythewalrus.com, by having a custom stuffed walrus made. And then then they would give it to me. And they wanted the stuffed walrus to be like as big as a real walrus, like this this massive thing, at least the size of of a large beanbag chair. And this plan was agreed upon, and they decided they were going to surprise me with the stuffed walrus because because everyone knows I love surprises. And they're going to give it to me during a backstage episode. So they had this huge stuffed walrus made, custom made. Who knows how much it cost it? And uh, they had it shipped to the office. They carted it in. It was like a surprise, unbeknownst to me. I didn't know about any of this. Everything was in order. Everything was paid for and received. And then they just 
They just never gave me the walrus. For whatever reason, the, the enormous stuffed walrus was never actually given to me. The whole plan was executed, every part of it, except for the part where I was actually given the gift. And so that's why now today there is in our office, like in storage somewhere, this huge stuffed walrus that no one knows what to do with. It's just sitting there. And what makes this so bizarre, again, is not that they decided to bail on the plan of giving me a huge stuffed walrus. That would be understandable. It's that they, it's that they, they made it and had it shipped and then never, never gave it to me. Uh, so Sean told me about this. And, and of course, my question was, well, can I have it? Can I, can I have my walrus? And he said, do, do you want it? And I said, yeah, of course I want it. What do you mean? Yeah, it's, it's my walrus. It was made for me. I want the big stuffed walrus. And it was still never given to me. And then yesterday, where I'm in my office with McKenna and Sean, and I bring it up again. I say, can I, can I have my stuffed walrus? I, I would like to have it. And they, again, the question was, well, do you really want it? Yes, I want the walrus. And so yesterday, I go looking for the walrus. I can't find it anywhere. And now I'm starting to think, did they re-gift it? Was this giant stuffed walrus given to somebody else? So it's a really, it's an awkward situation where this gift was never given to me, and now I'm asking for it, and they still won't give it to me. It's, it's really bizarre. Why can't I have my walrus is my question. This walrus, it's like the equivalent of, it's the, it's the walrus equivalent of the bridge to nowhere. It's like a, this, this bureaucratic boondoggle, this random expensive thing that was, that was never used for anything. And I just don't know what to do. So that's it. Hashtag give Matt his walrus. Um, we will go here. Maybe something slightly more important than the saga of the stuffed walrus is this. And uh, this was kind of teased yesterday that from Ron DeSantis' camp down in Florida that they were going to be making a big announcement. And then they made it today. And this is from, uh, actually, there are a couple of big announcements. We'll go with uh, what happened today. This is Fox News. It says, Republican Florida Governor Ron DeSantis suspended liberal state attorney Andrew Warren on Thursday. DeSantis made the announcement during a Thursday press conference uh, broadcast on social media. DeSantis argued that Warren has repeatedly uh, refused to enforce laws passed by the legislature, cracking down on child sex change surgeries and abortion restrictions. DeSantis' office has said a statement, we are suspending Soros-backed 13th Circuit State Attorney Andrew Warren for neglecting his duties as he pledges not to uphold the laws of the state. The Constitution of Florida has, this is DeSantis now quoting, the Constitution of Florida has vested the veto power in the governor, not in the state attorneys. We are not going to allow this pathogen of ignoring the law to get a foothold in the state of Florida. Uh, Officials said Warren has repeatedly tried to install himself as an adjudicator of what laws will and will not be allowed. And, uh, and so now they're saying that they're going to simply suspend him. Now, this is, this is a big announcement, a big and significant announcement. Um, it shouldn't be, right? I mean, this shouldn't even be news at all. It, it, we should see this and say, oh, well, right. So again, uh, a Republican governor is suspending a DA who refuses to enforce the law. Because this is the kind of thing that we, we, we should have seen many examples of this already. Because there are a great many um, district attorneys all throughout the country who have just decided of, on their own that, no, I don't like that law, so I'm going to pretend it doesn't exist. I'm going to rewrite the law for myself and determine which laws will be enforced and which won't be enforced. And these DAs have made this, and, and again, mo- most of them, yes, funded and installed by George Soros. 
And they've made this decision. And oftentimes they're in blue states where there's no one who, who could even hold them accountable, who has a position of power. But then oftentimes also they're in red states. And the red state governors just sit there um, sitting on their hands like they can't do anything about it. They're totally powerless. What DeSantis is doing here is, of course, exactly the right thing to do. If you're not going to do your job, then you're done. You don't get to decide what laws are enforced. I don't care if you don't like the law. Okay, as a district attorney in a city, the city is not your own little fiefdom where you can make up the rules for yourself. If you don't like the rules, if you don't like the laws and don't want to enforce them, then step down and let someone else step in who will do his job. This is your duty. This is your responsibility. But what makes this sort of significant and even somewhat shocking in a way is, again, that the Republicans never do this kind of thing. This is um, one of the most consistent things about Republicans is that, of course, they are usually useless and they do not want to use the power that they've been given. And that goes to Republicans who are governors of states. That goes to Republicans um, on the federal level in Congress. And that also applies to many Republican presidents that we've had, including the most recent Republican president, who was very reluctant to use the power that had been given to him by the nature of his office. Uh, and you, you could kind of see why Republicans would be afraid and, and don't want to use the power that they're given. A couple of reasons. One is that if you use the power that you've been given, that you're putting yourself in line for lots of criticism from the left and from the media, and uh, the piranhas are going to swarm around you and try to eat you alive, right? So that they're trying to avoid that because they're cowards. But then the other thing, too, is that, you know, when you have power and you use it, now you're putting yourself you're going out on a limb because um, if things don't, if things go wrong, if things go badly, now you could be held accountable for that. So it's a lot safer to be given power and then never use it, just kind of coast along, enjoying the prestige of your office, enjoying all the different perks that come with it, but never actually using your power. Because if you never do anything, then no one can criticize you for the things you did because you didn't do anything. Um, I think the real courage that we see with DeSantis, I mean, even aside from facing down the radical left and everything else, the real courage is being, being willing to do things, to do what he's supposed to do um, in his position and, and, and live with the consequences. If it doesn't go right, then, then that's on him. And he, and he knows that and he's willing to do that, to, to, uh, Accept that. I mean, this is just, I know you've heard me say it so many times, but it's such an obvious choice. And he hasn't announced yet his, his run for president in 2024. But um, I think he will announce. I think he's all the more likely to announce if the people, you know, if, if especially Republican and conservative voters speak up and say, we want you to run, please run. You're the guy. I think he'll definitely run in that case. I think the only thing that would stop DeSantis from running is if he looks at the situation and decides that there's a lot more enthusiasm among Republicans for Trump, and so he doesn't want to get in there and get into a nasty battle with Trump, and so he's going to sit it out. And so I think it's really important for all of us 
those who have platforms, and yeah, we all have platforms these days, so no matter how big or small your platform is, if you're a Republican, if you're a conservative, to say, no, he's the guy, please run. I think you're the guy. There's just, there are some other Republicans out there that could, that, that I hope also run because I, you know, I don't want an uncontested primary, right? You want to, and it's a iron sharpens iron and that kind of thing. And there are some other interesting options, but when you have someone who's a young guy, governs successfully, isn't afraid of the left, isn't afraid to use the power that he's been given, all, every, checks every single box. So it's, could not be more obvious. And speaking of checking the boxes, that was yesterday. Now let's go back to, or rather this was this morning. Let's go back to yesterday when Ron DeSantis announced that there's going to be accountability in his state now for doctors who mutilate children. Listen. Talk about these very young kids getting gender affirming care. They don't tell you what that is, is they're actually giving very young girls double mastectomies. They want to castrate these young boys. That's wrong. And so we've stood up and said, both from the health and children well-being perspective, you know, you don't disfigure 10, 12, 13-year-old kids uh, based on gender dysphoria. 80% of it resolves anyways by the time they get older. So why would you be doing this? I think these doctors need to get sued for what's happening. I'm sorry. Uh, They need to be sued. Yes, absolutely. And we are going to see the the lawsuits that are going to be, the class action lawsuits that we're going to see certainly in the next 10 years as all these children who are being drugged and castrated and mutilated, as they uh, get older and become adults and experience unimaginable regret. And I almost hesitate. I I, I don't even like the word regret here because regret is when you uh, are are feeling sorry about something that you did, right? That's, That's what regret is when you're feeling some kind of guilt or second-guessing something that you have done, a choice that you have made. But with these children who are being drugged and castrated and everything else, this is not a choice that they're making because they can't make these kinds of choices. This is something that's being done to them. So call it whatever you want it, but as they get in the next 10 years, as, as this current um, crop of children, and crop is certainly how they're seen by the... Uh, pharmaceutical industry and by all these doctors that are taking advantage of them and, and profiting off of uh, off of abusing them, as they get older and become adults, we're, we're going to see massive class action lawsuits. As, as well we should. But the really tragic thing is that on top of the class action lawsuits, we're going to see uh, a wave of mass suicide unlike anything that the world has ever seen. And we're already seeing suicide rates that are far above historical average, historical norms, especially for younger people. But I'm telling you right now, in the next 10 to 15 years, what we're going to see is just, it's unthinkable. Because you're going to have millions of what were once kids coming into adulthood and looking and realizing that their lives have been destroyed, their bodies have been destroyed. They've had things taken from them that they can never, ever get back. And it's just, it's impossible to even conceptualize the anguish and pain that someone must feel in that situation. And what happens from there is going to be utterly tragic and brutal. Which is why we should be doing everything we can right now. Pulling every lever that we can 
um, calling on every Republican with any power at all to be doing everything they can to put a stop to this and to punish to the full extent possible under the law everyone responsible for it. That to me should be, you want to talk about 2024, any election really, primaries, uh, any election. This should be one of our first questions for any Republican. It's like, first of all, how do you feel about children getting gender reassignment care, quote unquote, and if they say anything other to that other than it's horrifying and evil and terrible, anything less than that, we can't even consider them. So then the next question is, what, what, do you, what do you want to do about it? The doctors who are responsible for this, if it was in your power to do it, would you put them in prison? Are you in favor of passing laws that allows us to take these doctors and put them in prison? Any answer from a Republican other than hell yes, let's imprison these bastards, uh, then that person can't be considered for any elected position at all. Speaking of uh, puberty blockers, the Daily Wire, I've had this on the docket here for a few days. Daily Wire had this report, I think this was last week, um, says puberty blockers known as uh, gonadropin-releasing hormones uh, receive a, received a warning from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration officials earlier this month saying the drug could cause brain swelling, loss of vision, and serious risks for children injecting the hormone. Officials said a plausible association between using puberty blocker um, and uh, puberty blockers and other symptoms, which display, there's, there's one disease in particular that I can't, it's pseudotumor cerebri, I think, which displays symptoms similar to a brain tumor. This was either, so they said there's a, an association potentially between that and the puberty blockers, and this has been identified in six young girls between the ages of five and 12. FDA officials reported five were undergoing treatment for central precocious puberty and one for transgender care. The onset of this disease ranged from three to 240 days after uh, the initiation of the puberty blockers. This is the other thing that we're going to see in the coming years is um, the FDA and other public health agencies are going to come out with reports saying, oh, well, you know, it turns out that uh, maybe these drugs do have some side effects. And because we, we can't even, you, we can't begin to list all of the potential side effects from drugs like this because we've never had, you know, an entire generation put on these drugs. We haven't had the sample size. Now we do. And we're going to find out as the years go on. All right. It's from Business Insider. It says, President Joe Biden on Wednesday signed his second executive order aimed at protecting abortion access since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in late June. Biden's executive order instructs the Human and Health Services Department to support patients who will travel out of state to get an abortion where it's still legal. This is according to a White House fact sheet. Biden explains this executive order. Let's listen to him explain it. No, today I'm signing the second executive order I'm about to sign that responds to the health care crisis that has unfolded since the Supreme Court overturned Roe and that women are facing all across America. Health care crisis is, you know, it's just it's hard for me to even understand how they think this. Health care crisis is women can't get, can't choose, can't get an abortion even in the case of incest even in the case of rape. But it goes beyond that. 
There are a lot of women who take prescriptions prescribed by their doctors and have been taking for some time for other conditions, for arthritis, for epilepsy, for Crohn's diseases. And in many cases, these prescriptions are not being filled. Uh, well, that's just a, that, that, of course, is a total lie. There's nothing about the overturn of Roe v. Wade that would prevent women from taking medication for arthritis. This is an advantage, of course, being a Democrat. Is you, can just, you can utterly, totally invent things out of thin air, and you're not going to be fact-checked on that, especially when it's something, if, if, it's, if it's in the realm of abortion, then they're, they're not going to fact-check it. You can, as far as they're concerned, ends justify the means and just say whatever you need to say to bring about the end that you want. And the end that you want, of course, is the murder of more babies, which is health care. But like we talked about with euthanasia yesterday, that, that can never be health care. This can never be medicine. If you have a doctor who is intentionally destroying human life, then that is always and forever going to be the opposite of medicine. You can call it whatever else you want, but you cannot call it medicine. You can't call it healthcare. And what you should be calling it, obviously, is murder. Here's a, 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 a video that's kind of been making the rounds online for the last couple of days. And it's actually from, I think, one or two years ago. But still somewhat instructive. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez appeared on one of these drag queen shows. Maybe this is RuPaul's show. I don't know. She appeared with some drag queens to uh, give them a little pep talk. And let's listen to her. People who change what people think are artists and drag queens. And let's not forget who threw that first break at Stonewall. Yes. You know, that is what led to us passing the Equality Act in the House in this term, marriage equality. It starts with you. I mean, you're patriots. You are. You are. You are patriots. And I'm so proud of you all. I'm so proud to live in this country with you and with your mother and with all of us as family. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Thank you. Girl. We love you. Ooh. There we go. There was her patriotic speech, her uh, war cry. That was her General Patton moment to the drag queens. The fact that she calls them patriots is significant. And we heard something similar from Nancy Pelosi, who also appeared on one of these drag shows and said almost exactly the same kind of thing about how this is, you know, you, she makes the drag queens, men dress like women, um, m- make her proud to be an American, and this is the most American thing, and it's patriotic. Uh, it, it, why, is it, why is it patriotic? I mean, why, how could it be patriotic for men to dress up like women? Uh, well, they're not dressing like women, because that's, I think we have to be careful when we say that, because I've, I've never ever seen in my life a woman who dresses anything like a drag queen. Now, they're, they're dressing like a cartoon, a, a mockery of a woman. But how could it be patriotic? Well, the answer is, uh, relating back to something we talked about a few days ago, that, remember, on the left, the only right that they care about, the only right that they recognize, the only right that exists in their minds is the right to sexual satisfaction, sexual gratification. You know, that is, so you are a champion. If you're a champion of sexual satisfaction, then you are a champion of human rights, which makes you, being a country as America is founded on the notion of human rights, then then you're a patriot. 
Which, of course, is true. If you actually are a champion of, re- of actual human rights, then you're a patriot, yes. The problem is that this human right doesn't really exist. It is another invention of the left. But that's the way they see it. It's the only right, it's actually the only right that anybody has. Is just to satisfy yourself sexually. And it's why they believe that, uh, you know, they could take away every other right, which they don't even recognize as existing, but they get the right to, uh, the right to free speech, the right to self-defense, certainly the right to uh, freedom of religion, everything else, the due process, they take all that away. Because as long as they leave for you the ability to satisfy your sexual whims, then that's all you should want, because that's all, that's all it means to be a person as far as they're concerned. That's why drag queens are patriots, because for the drag queen, the cross-dresser, um, traipsing around in women's clothes, this is their fetish. They're, they're acting out their fetishes in public, which is a deeply patriotic thing to do in AOC's warped vision of the world. But the drag movement has, uh, we know that it's made its way certainly outside of Hollywood, and it's made its way into libraries and schools, and now it's made its way even into churches. So here's another, some more viral footage making the rounds. A drag queen recently appeared at, well, this is a a church. We'll we'll play this for you. This is an event called Worship is a Drag. And the drag queen here who who comes out claimed that this was at a Catholic church. But if you've ever been in a Catholic church and you see this footage, you can tell this is not a Catholic church. It is a church, though, supposedly. And um, anyway, let's watch the footage first. Her name is Britta Filter, and she is the Queen of New York! Yeah! Okay, so there's the drag queen marching down the aisle of the church to the uh, the sounds of the screaming throngs applauding. The drag queen's name is Britta Filter. Okay, and but you see that and it, it, there are a few things about it that are a little bit confusing, right? And the first thing, well, many things when you see a drag queen at a church. Unfortunately, that that actually is not the most. Con- Sadly, these days, seeing the drag queen at a church is, is actually not confusing at all. That's quite expected. I'm not, I'm not even surprised now to see that. The thing that did surprise me when I saw this footage was not the drag queen, but it was the, the number of people in attendance and how young they are. The fact that it's a whole bunch of young people. Because what I know is that generally these far-left churches that are trying to attract the young by, you know, bringing drag queens in and, hey, let's have a transgender lesbian bishop and all that kind of stuff, preaching from the pulpit constantly about tolerance and acceptance and really preaching about this right to sexual satisfaction, which is the only human right that they recognize either. Those kinds of churches, though they they are doing all this ostensibly to attract young people, um, they they fail to do so. But if you if you see footage usually like this and you look out and you see who's in the pews, 
it's it's geriatric. It's like it's you're, you're looking at something from the from the from the local nursing home. There's a there's a smattering of older middle aged to elderly people in the pews, and it's just because this is a dying old church, and this method of trying to energize the young actually doesn't work. It's not hard to see why it wouldn't work. Because for young people, first of all, young people are inherently uh, attracted to authenticity. And, they, and, and they, they can tell when someone's being inauthentic. Like if you're being a poser and you're putting on a, a show, they can kind of sniff that out. So the stereotypical like youth pastor who's 45, got the backwards hat, trying to use young lingo, but he's always about 10 years behind the times. You know, he's just usually once he gets a bunch of you know rolling eyes from the kids that he's talking to. Um, and also kid, kids know that, okay, well, if I want drag queens and if I want transgenderism and if I want all this preaching about tolerance and diversity, I can go anywhere else in the culture for that. And I can get a much more authentic version of it. I don't need to go to a church for that. Why would I, why would I go and waste my time, they figure, sitting in a church to hear about drag queens and trans and everything else? I could, I could go any, I could turn on the TV. I can go anywhere. I can go anywhere and get that. Um, the churches have made themselves irrelevant by offering something that isn't needed in our culture because it's already supplied everywhere else. Yet you watch that, and, you, and, you, and it, almost, it almost threw me for a loop. I said, well, there are a lot of young people there. Well, here's why there were so many young people there. This is from the Post Millennial. It says, students at Manhattan's Grace Church High School are required to attend chapel every other Wednesday. On April 27th, that meant attending a Pride event. The sixth annual Pride Chapel featured a special guest, drag queen Britta Filter, a.k.a. Jesse Havea. Uh, students felt pressure to join in, to dance and celebrate, while teacher Ewan Gwyn took the opportunity to announce their resignation over improper pronoun usage. There was tons of social pressure to dance along and pretend like it was normal, according to a student who asked not to be named, um, but uh, said this to the post-millennial, <clears throat> whether it be people tapping on shoulders and telling them to stand up, or just a collective staring contest at whoever wasn't totally participating. The event was led by the school, also the reverend and the students and faculty advisors for Spectrum, which is the school's LGBTQIA plus affinity group. The politically themed chapel, which was mandatory for all students in grades 9 through 12, apparently ran long. Um, According to multiple students, immediately upon entering, there was a person handing out stickers with pride flags on them, um, unironically saying, take one or you're homophobic. And then eventually this teacher got up there and resigned because the pronouns weren't being respected. That's how the story ends. Okay, so that explains. My assumption was, is not wrong. My assumption that church, the uber-liberal far-left churches trying to attract young people only exceed in tr- attracting people 50 in the 50-plus in the age bracket, uh, that, that still stands. Those kids were there because they were required to be there. Mandatory attendance to watch the drag queen, the obese man in a dress calling himself Brita Filter danced down the aisles. And not only that, but required to stand, applaud. I mean, very much like what you see footage out of North Korea when Kim Jong-un is parading before 
the cheering throngs and everybody is, uh, they're standing up and and they're screaming and they're crying tears of joy. They love Dear Leader so much. But what you don't see is just off camera, the guys with the guns pointed right at the screaming throngs saying, you better keep clapping or we're gonna pull the trigger. Very similar situation here. All right, finally, before we get to the comment section, the White House tweeted this yesterday. And um, it's not so much the caption, but the picture that is significant here. But this is President Biden tweeted, this morning I held a secure phone call with my national security team. We discussed a wide range of priorities, including the United States support of free and open Indo-Pacific and uh, our continued support for Ukraine in response to Putin's war. Uh, Who cares about that? What I do care about is the picture, and it's Joe Biden on the phone with a mask. He's wearing a mask while talking on the phone. I guess this is responsible. He wants to make sure that he doesn't transmit COVID over the phone. Now, or, and he also wants to make sure he doesn't contract it again. Now, he is very susceptible to COVID, right? He's, he's, he's had COVID 47 times, so maybe this extra precaution can be somewhat understandable, but, and I, and I see that and I'm, and I'm tempted to make fun of it, but then I realize, you know what? I'm actually fine with this. Yeah, let's, I'll go with that. You can get COVID over the phone. I'll believe it. I'm willing to believe that. In fact, I want to believe that because that gives me an excuse to never answer the phone again and never return any phone call. It's just too much risk. Of course, I never return phone calls anyway, but now I have an excuse because I don't want to get COVID. Now let's get to our comment section. If you're a man, it's required that you grow a beard. Hey, we're the sweet baby gang. H. Mill says, we did everything backwards. We got married young, 19 and 22, and my husband worked on his degree over the years, debt-free at his job, uh, either paid for it or he saved enough. He graduated with his master's degree after our fifth child in his 30s. We now have zero debt, live off his income alone, and he's in a job he loves, and we have six children that we homeschool. I'm glad we did things this way instead of the way we had been told. Um, I think that was the right, that's not backwards at all, actually. The way that that you did it is um, maybe backwards by modern standards, but the modern standard is what's backwards. It's exactly backwards. Uh, live your young adult life, um, establish yourself, do all that, and then at the end of young adulthood, start a family. Now, that's backwards. You're, you, ideally, and it doesn't work this way for everyone, not everyone's the same, but ideally, the path for most people and what we should be encouraging as a society is that people begin the family life at the beginning of young adulthood not at the end of it. Um, Alice says, Matt, I love following your wife on Twitter. She seems so innocent and joyful, the opposite of you. Uh, she is, that's true. One of the many things I love about her. She is She is uh, joyful. She is also innocent. I, you want to know how innocent? So here's another true story. This is almost as mind-boggling as the giant stuffed walrus that I have not been given, though that, though that is rightfully mine. So I was talking to my wife yesterday, and uh, I mentioned something about, um, about Reddit. Actually, it's because it's because our pregnancy announcement ended up on the anti-natalist Reddit forum. And anti-natalists, of course, are the people who are against babies. This is this is even a level beyond pro-abortion. They just they're against birth. They don't think that anyone should be born ever again because human life is a misery and a drudgery, and we should all just perish from the face of the earth. Anyway, the the pregnancy announcement ended up on the Reddit forum, and so there's just a whole bunch of people very very upset that my wife and I are having more kids. I thought it was pretty funny. I mentioned it to my wife 
And her answer was, um, what's Reddit? And I looked at her in shock and I, I said, you don't know what Reddit is? How old are you? you don't, you've never heard of Reddit. And so I had to explain Reddit to her. And this is what she said. I quote, this is exactly what she said. She said, oh, uh, so it's like an AOL chat room. And I said, that, that's your frame of reference? An AOL chat room? What is this, 1997? This is exactly like if I, if I mentioned Google and she said, what's Google? And I explained it and she said, oh, so it's like uh, the Dewey Decimal System. But this is good. It's very, you know, it's, it, I think it's a, it's a, it centers me in a certain way to be married to someone who is not only exactly opposite of me personality-wise and being bubbly and chipper and everything, but um, is so not online that she has never even heard of Reddit somehow. I don't know how you do it. I mean, how do you spend, how do you live in the internet age as someone in your 30s and just, you've gone your whole life and never encountered any mention of Reddit? It's amazing, but it's great. Uh, Brittany says, Matt, I'm a mom of four and proud minivan owner. I lost my coolness points three kids ago. I only, ca- I only care for comfort these days. The extra 30 seconds it takes for the, for the sound of screaming children to travel from the back of the van to the front was worth the purchase alone. It's the most luxurious way to travel. Give her time and she'll grow to love it. Well, that's my view. You, know? um, you have to give up coolness, give up style when you become a parent. Of course, it was easy for me to do because, and I have to always keep this in mind, because I never had style or coolness, so I didn't actually have to give it up. It was, a very, it was a very easy transition. As you know, I was born in a flannel with a beard. So um, I have been essentially a very uncool dad my whole life. And so for someone who had some style and coolness, it's, it's a more difficult transition. And that's, you know, and that's, so that's in my wife's defense a little bit. And the other thing is that she has, she has um, clung successfully in parenthood to many different things that that naysayers, including myself, told her she'd have to give up. For example, white couches. She still buys white furniture, okay? We have expensive white couches in our family room, and somehow they're not totally destroyed, even with four kids. So give her credit for that. Uh, Let's see. Evan says, Matt, on the subject of dying with dignity, I'm curious to hear your take on something. My dad's brother died of dementia, unable to even recognize his own children. My dad's, dad is a strong man, and he has taken his age and inevitable decline with grace, but he refuses to go out the way his brother did. He has signed a living will asking to have the plug pulled if he's ever lying in bed as an invalid who can't recognize his own family. I'm hoping it never comes to that, but if it does, I've told him I respect his wishes and pull the plug. Do you think that I'm out of line telling him that? It's an honest question. I really do appreciate your point of view on these matters. Well, there's a difference between a suicide, right, and removing life support or, you know, pulling the plug, so-called. Um, and I, as for the latter, I think the ethics of it really depend on the circumstances. So if somebody is old and dying and entirely dependent on machines to survive, then no, I don't think that they have a moral responsibility to stay on the machines and prolong their lives for as long as humanly possible. But when you get to the point it's the only thing that's keeping you alive are all these machines and you've lived a long life and, and, uh, and you say, uh, you know, I'm, this is my time and, and I, I'm willing to go when God decides and, and I'm going to leave it up to, to, to that and I'm not going to use the machines. I, I think that's um, a perfectly ethically defensible choice. I mean, at a certain point, you have to accept the inevitable. Um, 
And at a certain point, even perhaps the responsibility goes the other way. Like you don't have the responsibility to prolong your life for as long as you possibly can. And there might become a time where ethically your responsibility falls on accepting the inevitable. Um, but it's a difficult question. And like I said, the, the circumstances uh, really, really determine it. Okay. And finally, Megan says, are you going to do anything special for your 1,000th episode on Friday? It's a big milestone for the show and the SPG. Congratulations in advance. Advance. Actually, since you mention it, our 1,000th episode will be Monday. It will not be tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll have some special content for you that we're putting together that I'm excited about. Uh, so we're going to have that, but it won't be an official episode. We are saving the 1,000th episode for Monday because we want it to coincide with something else that we're working on that's almost finished but not yet and uh, that's the most I can say about it. Is it uh, ironic to make an ad for an ad-free viewing experience? Maybe. Well, that's not really irony. It's like the Alanis Morissette definition of irony. But anyway, that's exactly the type of experience you're going to get. That is the ad-free experience when you subscribe to Daily Wire Plus. This is our growing hub for all things Daily Wire, where you'll find shows and podcasts like this one, movies, bonus content, and coming soon, kids' content as well. Daily Wire Plus is everything you love about the Daily Wire Plus, so much more, and minus the ads as well. Go to dailywireplus.com to become a member today and get 35% off of your membership now. That's dailywireplus.com. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today we return to the subject of racism and parade mascots. Uh, it is not a subject that I would choose to dwell on, but this is a, a show that analyzes and discusses culture, and this is what our culture cares about. So to briefly review, a few weeks ago, somebody in a Sesame Street costume at a parade in Sesame Place in Philadelphia made the mistake of walking past a black child without stopping to greet her specifically. Of course, mascots walk by many children all the time without greeting them for reasons that are obvious, but this one innocuous event was caught on film, conveniently clipped to remove all context, and nationwide outrage ensued. Charges of racism were made. Apologies were issued. Soon afterwards, another family filed a class action lawsuit on behalf of all black families that had been victims of similar mascot-related hate crimes. But the completely made-up problem of racist mascots extends beyond Sesame Street. Apparently, the costumed rodents at Chuck E. Cheese are also racist. No telling if the actual rodents that also frequent Chuck E. Cheese are racist as well, but we can only take one problem at a time. This week, another video went viral of a black child being horribly traumatized by the minor disappointment of not receiving a high five from a costumed character. The mother of the victim tweeted the shocking footage. Let's watch it. Now, for those of you who don't know, when you celebrate your birthday at Chuck E. Cheese's, you are the star of the show. In fact, on the Horrific. Now, she captioned this, uh, she captioned this with this. Please retweet. On July 30th at Chuck E. Cheese in Wayne, New Jersey, my two-year-old was racially discriminated against. As you can see, he gives all the white kids high fives and purposely ignored my black baby. When confronted, he ignored me as well. The manager, Angie Velasquez, made excuses for him. Ah, uh, yes, that notorious white supremacist, Angie Velasquez of New Jersey. That's a clan name, if ever I've heard one. Now, she says that uh, the manager made excuses. I can't imagine what those excuses might be, other than the fact that all the kids who received high fives were standing on a stage eye level with the mascot. The child who was snubbed was standing three feet below them. 
Given that your line of sight is almost non-existent in those sweltering death trap costumes, the most logical explanation is that the kids on the stage were within his limited vision and the child below the stage was not. So that's a logical explanation, but it's not a lucrative explanation. If you're looking to cash in, as this mother clearly is, then the only explanation you'll possibly entertain is that the person in the mouse costume who you don't know and who may be black themselves for all you know is racist. Not only that, but for whatever reason, the costumed character gig attracts racists. There is a conspiracy among mascots nationwide to traumatize black children. This is what you allege when your demand for racism far, far outstrips the supply. Now, for the record, Chuck E. Cheese was, of course, prepared to fold at a moment's notice. They didn't put up any fight at all. I mean, none. Chuck E. Cheese Corporate released a statement expressing that they were deeply saddened by this event. Quote, as home to millions of families and kids every year that celebrates the big and small milestones, including fun, our goal is to create an inclusive experience for children and parents of all ages, races, ethnicities, religious backgrounds, and learning differences. Our mission is to provide a fun and safe place where a kid can be a kid, and all cast members are trained to ensure that we live up to this promise. Now, you notice how on the left, uh, where they pretend to champion the poor and the working class, they have no problem at all with giant corporations making scapegoats out of their minimum wage employees, throwing them, throwing them to the wolves, and branding them with the letter R for racist. You know, they have no problem with that because, because of course, these people don't give the slightest damn about the working class or the poor or anybody else. In fact, the more powerless somebody is, the better, because the easier it is to get them to dance to your tune. The leftist outrage mob thrives on manipulation and intimidation. It is their fetish. They feel orgasmic delight at the sight of some poor sap bowing before them. This was made all the more apparent yesterday when another video went viral. This one from a parade at Disney World. But the mascot, these are Toy Story characters this time around, um, they didn't make the same mistake. So in this video, Woody spots a black girl in the crowd and frantically waves for the other Toy Story character to come over so that uh, she can greet the child. Let's, let's watch that happen. Okay, so I, actually, I don't know if that music was actually playing at the parade for kids. I wouldn't be surprised if it was. I don't think it was. I think that was just put in in post. Um, so you, you see there the person in the cowgirl costume. I don't know. what What's the name of that character? I don't know. Um, what was it? Say it again. Jesse. Okay. Jesse and the, the cowgirl there um, almost walked by the black child without noticing her, which would have been, as we've seen, a national tragedy and a catastrophe of catastrophe of historic proportions. Fortunately, though, through Woody's diligent efforts, she noticed at the last second and sprinted over to uh, give the young black girl the biggest and most specialist greeting out of all the other kids at the parade. Never mind that she, she didn't hug the other black kids right next to that girl. I guess she's going to get a pass in this case until the parents of those kids decide to sue for $100 million, of course. Now, the media has been um, reporting on that little video there like it's a heartwarming sort of human interest story. But it's actually quite sad and pathetic and, and terrifying. The minimum wage lackey in the costume 
knows that they'll be smeared nationally as a racist, probably fired, and maybe sued if they don't specially acknowledge every black child, or at least every black child with a litigious parent holding a camera. The hug was a hug given by someone who knows that they're going to be arbitrarily attacked, libeled, and destroyed if they commit an entirely innocuous and innocent oversight. This is somebody frantically trying to avoid a fate that shouldn't be anywhere within the ballpark of possibilities in the first place. There should be zero risk that a kid in a costume at a parade will end up in the headlines for accidentally walking past a black child in the crowd. There should be no risk of that. This is now a real risk in our depraved, idiot-infested culture. Now, the situation is not sustainable. I mean, ultimately, and this will happen within the next few months, probably, if not weeks, companies like Disney and Sesame Street and Chuck E. Cheese will instate policies forbidding mascots from greeting anybody at all. Allowing them to do greetings is now a liability because if any video surfaces of any mascot failing to greet any black child, even if that same mascot greeted 50 black children before, it becomes a PR scandal and probably a lawsuit. Companies will judge it simply not worth the risk, and they're going to do away with what was once totally normal and seemingly risk-free. The outrage mob destroys then yet another small little thing that once brought joy to children, but now must be taken away because the parasites got a hold of it. And the most important thing we can learn from this and take note of is, again, just how much joy these leeches take in all of this. You know, the, the, their, uh, the leftist mob, they were passing around that video for the, the Disney World video yesterday, laughing hysterically about it. They think it's the greatest thing in the world. The very people who pretended to be upset at Sesame Street and Chuck E. Cheese are laughing because they can see that their charade has its desired effects. Because they love nothing in this world more than seeing people jump through the hoops that they have set up. And that's all the more reason to never give these frauds what they want. Defy them at every opportunity. Laugh in their faces. Never apologize. Before they have a chance to say it to you, you must always say to them, you are canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Um, that'll do it for this week. We have, again, uh, something special for you tomorrow. And then we'll be back with, uh, with a regular show on Monday. And it'll be our 1,000th episode. So I'll see you then. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Jeff Tomlin. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2022.